This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. My next guest is a versatile artist performing across genres and mediums. After earning her BFA at Fordham Ailey, she joined Philodenko and toured the U.S. and abroad, performing modern and contemporary ballet repertory. After Philodenko, she returned to New York and has appeared on television in HBO's Boardwalk Empire, Netflix, A Very Murray, Very Murray Christmas, <laughs> The Tonight Show, and Saturday Night Live with Kanye West. On the big screen, she portrayed Michelle of Destiny's Child in Ang Lee's feature film, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. She's also appeared on Broadway in the revival of Follies, starring Bernadette P Peters, uh, the Tony Award winning After Midnight and Shuffle Along. In the classical realm, she was in the company of Rigoletto at the Metropolitan Opera and was featured with San Francisco Symphony in a role conceived for her by choreographer Pat Birch and maestro Michael Tilson Thomas. Most recently, she can be seen in the finale of Fosse Verdon on FX and in season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It is with great pleasure that I introduce you to the wonderful Erin Moore. Erin, welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Talk about an exciting and diverse ride so far, right? It has been. Uh, it really has been. I'm appreciative of that. Oh. Yeah. Is it true that you were planning on being a lawyer? It is true. I was. So I was in school at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I was not dancing. My plan was to go to law school. I followed a, you know, a friend from high school to Perry Mansfield um, summer after my freshman year and was like, this is missing from my life. And with all of the encouragement and all of the sort of, why are you not dancing from all of you? Um, I took the leap and transferred to Fort Amelie, and that's the short story of, that's all she wrote. It was not easy, but um, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about like what wasn't easy about it, because that's really interesting, because that's a massive decision, massive, massive life decision. Yeah, that's what was hard about it. So the funny part about the story is that I signed both acceptance letters in high school, one to UNC Chapel Hill and one to Fordham, and I was so conflicted then that I went away to, I think, ballet festival in Minneapolis and gave the letters, both letters to my dad and was like, send one. And he sent the one to UNC. So that's how I ended up there. But um, so yeah, it was a big decision. I just did not, I wasn't sure that I could do it professionally. Like I didn't know what that looked like. There was no one, there was no one who had, who was like before me that had done it, no path. And I wasn't super confident. Like I just didn't know what it looked like. So. I was like, something's missing. I don't want to be 30 years old and think, what if I could have done it? So that was the turning point for me, that thought of feeling like, what if I could have done it, but I didn't try? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think might have been different had you chosen the other path? Oh, my God, Lisa, I can't even imagine. I mean, I feel like it's one of the best decisions I made in my life to leave. And I was having so much fun there. I had friends. I was enjoying the courses I was taking. But... You know, like, I think I tried to fight that I'm an artist. Like, I think I thought, like, I'm going to dance and get it out of my system. And, you know, I still thought I was going to go back to law school. Um, but 
you know, I mean, there are other parts of who I am, but this is definitely an essential part of who I am. Like I'm an artist, like I'm a creative person, I am a performer and I cannot imagine my life otherwise. I can't imagine not having done this. So yeah, I don't even know. I feel like I would be, I don't know. I don't know who I would be or how I would be. Bored probably. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's so fascinating to me because, you know, I'm sure there must have been a million outside influences and voices in your head about weighing in about what you should do. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest pressure was like social pressure and internal pressure. Um, my parents were like, do whatever you want. My parents have always been really affirming of who I am and all the weird phases I went through. But I went to a school that was like a prep school and it was like, you go Ivy or you go liberal arts college or you go like one of the big state schools and go to art school was like, not even a thought. It was like strange. And my college counselors didn't know what to do with me. I don't blame them, but I think I had that pressure because I sort of internalized that value system to a degree. Like, you know, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. Tell me more about that. That's really interesting. What do you mean? Um, so I think that I place a lot of importance in excelling in a certain very like academic way because of the environment that I was in. And I, I love my high school. I'm glad that I um, went there and got the education that I got. Um, but it was very narrow in terms of what success looked like. So I was like, you know, you're, you're, you're acculturated, I guess, so to speak, in the environment that you're in. So I was like a little bit in addition to not knowing that I could do it and knowing what it looks like, I was very like in that environment. Lists of like what, who got into what college and I don't, wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid 200%, but I was, you know, I, you're, you're in the environment you're in. So in my head, I was like, well, does that negate my, like being a dancer? Like, where does that fit with like my intellectual side and my academic side? And like, I just wasn't in an environment that was, that like, it made sense to like, go to conservatory after. Yeah, no, no, it makes perfect sense. And what the, the, what stands out to me as really a strength of yours is despite your upbringing, which, which, you know, was clearly, you know, you were afforded a very good education and all of that. And like you said, no blame or whatever. I mean, that's just the, the world and the track that you were tracked into. And yet you had clearly, it sounds like this, this feeling inside that dance was such a part of you. You just didn't equate the two. Totally. That's exactly what it was. And yet, though, you did it. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a really fascinating person from the point of view of your career is, I mean, 100% in the arts and 100%, you know, emanates from, from your, you know, from your passion as a dancer, number one. But it's unbelievable. Like when I was reading that, you know, and it's not like, look how many credits you've got or whatever, but rather the diversity. Talk to me about, you know, because you bet you have basically covered all the realms. What was the hardest thing? Like what kind of fears did you have to overcome when you were moving around or did you just go for it? I'm just so curious. I, I had the ignorance of bliss. I had the bliss of ignorance rather. Um, <laughs> so I started at Philodenko and like, that was my dream was to be in a dance company, like a modern dance company. And then when I came, I was like, I want to go back to New York and do theater because I had done theater growing up as a kid. You know, I took a lot of risk. I was like pushy, but in a nice way. But I kind of just like followed the breadcrumbs, if that makes sense. So my friend 
I was talking to him and I was like, oh, you know, I knew that getting an agent at that time was like sort of like a new, new terrain. Um, and I knew that you could do like commercial work if you got an agent. So I was talking to a friend one night and we had been done Danko together. And I was like, oh, MSA is having auditions, but I haven't submitted my headshot and resume. And, you know, you have to do that to be able to get an appointment. He said, call them and ask if you can come. So I called them on a Friday night. Was it a Friday or like a Thursday, maybe? And it was at the end of the day. And I said, hi, um, my name's Aaron, And I want to come to your audition. And I haven't submitted. And they said, "What? you know, tell me about your background. And um, I told them about my background. Just did Danko. I did a, and they said, great. You're just what we're looking for. Come tomorrow. Wow. So I had a lot of stories like that early in my career where I would literally just ask or like show up places, which I'm not recommending necessarily. But so once I got the agent, they started submitting me on these like, jobs for commercials or like industrials or like TV film stuff like boardwalk. And so like, that was my portal into that world just by getting an agent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it sounds like the momentum built. And then the, you know, even though you went in, I love how you said, uh, you know, you just followed the breadcrumbs, but also that's like trusting the process, right? You're not sure where they're going to lead. Um, but you also weren't running from anything either anymore. You were in it. Yeah, I was super open. Yeah. yeah, I just, I guess it is trusting the process. I never thought of it like that. <laughs> was there any fear or was it, it sounds to me like it was truly trusting the process actually from my, from my point of view, but, but I'm so curious to know, cause you know, you had made the leap, you had taken the, the route to the, being an artist and it seemed to be happening sort of naturally for you. And it sounds like just inherently intuitively, you just went with it. Right. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. You mean like deciding to like go for it? Yeah. To me, it sounds like you were literally just like, I'm here and I'm all in. And what should I do? Tell me. Funny, like now that you're asking and I'm thinking about it because I've never like dissected it like this, but like, since you're asking, I'm like, yeah, actually that is kind of how it was without necessarily realizing it. I think I, this part I know about myself, I'm sort of a like, when I'm in it, the process, I'm in the process. It, it takes me being beyond it or past it to like look back and even smell the roses sometimes but so I was just doing it like I wasn't it wasn't like that it wasn't like if I don't or it was just like make it work you know sometimes I had early in I had a couple restaurant drop jobs and I don't know I was just doing it I, I wasn't thinking about if it doesn't you know and there was I remember there was a point at which like I was getting frustrated auditioning and stuff and my boyfriend at the time, I was like, I was like, maybe I'm going to quit. I've definitely had those doubts, you know, like yeah. everybody. And he was like, all right, well, if you're going to leave and stop now, and this was like early, at least like when I first came back to New York, maybe like a year or two in, I don't know, a year in, not even. He goes, you need to do everything in your power. You need to devote like maybe a year or however much time and do everything you can in your power to like improve upon like any weaknesses or things that you need to do that could potentially get you to the place you want to get. And he was like, then you can, when you stop, you can say you did everything that you could, mm. but unless, unless you do that, then you can't say you fully tried. And I was like, you know what? You're right. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, what do I need to do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's beautiful. You have such a beautiful energy. You always have. I mean, I've known you for a long time. You haven't changed though at all. I mean, you really haven't. <laughs> so it's been almost exactly a year since Broadway shut down in 2020. Um, and it affected, obviously, all of us so much in different ways. Can, can you share with us how it's affected you? 
Um, so yeah, I, in some ways I feel, this is going to sound weird. I've had this conversation with friends, but in some ways I feel lucky that I wasn't in a show because I feel like in a show you have some semblance of, you know, regularity and stability. Like, you know, you're going to get a check every week and your insurance week, et cetera. Um, and all those shows can always close at any time. And we know, like, I feel like this moment was more abrupt than any show closing that anyone's experienced. So, so there's that. Um, on the other hand, you have more stability and cushion in a show. So, you know, it depends on how you look at it. But I was um, supposed to, right when the shutdown happened, start a workshop for a new show, um, which I was excited about because I'd done an iteration of the show in 2014. And I was excited because it was a workshop. So you get points. Um, you know, um, like royalty points. And just like, I like being in the beginning of processes. Like I like process. So, and I really enjoyed having done the show um, in 2014. So I was looking forward to that and that was happening right in March. So that got canceled. And then I was also supposed to um, do a movie. Um, I had a fitting like that Friday when everything got shut down. And I postponed it to Monday. And then they were like, obviously, like, just kidding. And, and in between that, I was like, supposed to judge on weekends. So that's kind of where I was. I mean, I was definitely affected, but I think affected differently than if I had been in a show. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What would you say was the, was the biggest challenge that you had to face during this time? Um, well, in the beginning, I, I tend to joke through things <laughs> make everything a joke so we just kept joking my friend about and I just kept joking about the jobs getting canceled like you know I was like well this got canceled but, you know like I think just thinking about like oh wow like this is not just happening for two weeks now this is like indefinite the indefiniteness of it I think is has been the biggest challenge yeah no for sure the ambiguity right just the the total like nobody's clear about what's going to happen and stuff. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I'm so curious to know just as a dancer, do you remember how it felt physically? Like how did it, how did it express itself when you felt that moment of, Oh wow, this isn't going away for a while. I, it definitely came out like psycho dancer lady right here <laughs> came out because <laughs> like, I really, you know, we all have different ways of coping, you know? And I think some people's way of coping is to like completely relent and, you know, just like, go with go with it and my way of coping was like okay these are the things I can control so I was like luckily in this 30-day workout challenge thank god because left to my own devices I would not have moved but so like I was moving every day mm -hmm. um, I was like I'm not about to just sit around and eat uh, that again coping mechanism I was like I can control moving my body what I eat and what I spend. Those are the only two, three things that I have control of right now. So I'm going to be like, you know, very deliberate about those things. So mm. that's not exactly answering your question of how it felt physically, but that is, I guess that is a meant like some type of like, I, I don't, I'm not an anxious person, but I do think that's some type of like stress response is to like control, you know? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Because if you think about it, you know, intellectually, you knew that your regular physical regime was going to be taken away from you. Um, yes. And also that, you know, your physical response 
was going to be to eat too much, which is an emotional response. It's so fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know, I was like, I know that in this moment, yeah, that's what I was, I could be inclined to do. So I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> so I was super like, I was super like, you know, healthy for maybe a couple of months. And, you know, that didn't last. It's been a year. Yeah. You know, I, I go through phases. Like I've, I've, I've given into to when I feel like being slack, I'm slack. <laughs> yeah. We're back together. Like I've, I've realized like, you know, it's, you can't maintain that or I can't maintain that. So I let myself do what I need to do. I let myself be how I need to be. Like I've been mm. lazy for the last nine days. I haven't moved and I'm fine with it. I'll move tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's cool because, you know, you're talking about allowing yourself permission and doing it by choice, not by default. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a crazy time. You got to just like let yourself be wherever you are. And that is genuinely where I was in the beginning. So as it has changed, I allow myself to shift with it. Good for you. Good for you. Is that something new for you to, to sort of let yourself be lazy? Um, I would say I usually don't do it for this long, like for this period. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, we're usually just running around. So by default, I'm moving, you know? Yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. And like you said, you know, the length of time, you know, we've all made choices and we've all been through lots of a full range of, you know, emotions and feelings and, and changes and, you know, actual things changing in our lives and stuff like that and coping with them. And so, you know, in this sort of global experience, we've all had our individual experiences, obviously with it. It's been a kind of a, a coping, no matter whether we were doing really well in the coping, we've all been coping for a year. And if you think about coping, as, as sort of physically as an idea of like trying to, to, to balance, negotiate, it's exhausting. It you know? is. Yeah. And so it makes sense that you're just like, no, I really, this is how I feel. And now you recognize it. Like, I'm just tired and you're not going to blame it on anything. You know, there was a time when we, we might've blamed it on the pandemic, blamed it on this, blamed it on that. It's a result of life, right? You are where you are right now and this is how you feel and that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, and I worry about it, I worry about the people that, you know, when things start opening up again, are not allowing the, you know, the, the cycle of the emotion to finish, to process, and they just push it down and then keep moving forward, you know, and it'll come out somewhere else at some point. So true. This, I, I often like, oh, this time has been humbling. <laughs> I know that gets thrown around, but I'm like, no, really, it has <laughs> for me anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Emotionally, specifically emotionally, just like things that you, nothing catastrophic, but just like things that I would normally be too busy or too distracted that, that wouldn't come to the surface definitely have during this time. So <laughs> it's been good though. Cause it's like, then you have to deal with it. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Are there discoveries that you've made about yourself that surprised you during this time? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I never thought of myself as that creative. Really? Um, Sorry. Yeah. I know, right? I'm like 500 years old just now discovering this. But yeah, so that's the discovery I've made. I like to create things. Interesting. Wait, so tell me more about that. So what did you, you didn't think you were? And now you realize I, that you are? Yeah, not really. Like, I mean, I, I would speak about like the, the, oh, like, I would do this to this, or I would, 
but I never thought about those things as like me being creative. I don't know. That's so strange considering what I do, but I guess I always thought of myself as like the practitioner, but not the like creative person. I've always been creative. I just haven't really like actualized it fully or just thought of it in through that lens, I guess. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, that considered yourself more the, the, the artist's muse, right? Like that you were yeah. there as a, as a conduit for somebody else's art. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I see that though. I, I, I understand that. I mean, that, it makes perfect sense. So how did you discover and then therefore redefine creativity in, in your life? How did this happen during this time? I don't know, Lisa. Like I, I well, I do know. I'm trying to be opaque. Um, so <laughs> no, I had heart feelings. I had heart feelings, like heart, you know, love feelings. And one day I just, I woke up on a Sunday morning and I was like, I have to make something. And when I tell you, Lisa, I've never felt this way before. I've never been that person who woke up and was like, I have to make something. I, so I did, I went to the park and I like shot something. And I've, I have of late or like the past, what, five years been, I love like dance on film and movement on film and like been very interested in that. That's not a new development. I just like put it on the back burner. I never felt that like moment of like, I have to get this out. And so I shot something and then edited it, got really into the editing and the music and all of this. Um, And so I started just making these videos, but it would be like, there was no like plan or like, it would just be when they came to me or when I felt like I needed to make it. Or if there was like a piece of music that like when music resonated with me in a certain way, I'd like, I have a sheet, like a list of music that that I like want to make stuff to, like when it comes to me, I'll like write it down. So like that happened during this period and that would not have happened without mm-hmm. this time for me, I don't think. What what was it about this time that has allowed that access, do you think? Um, because usually I wouldn't even have the time and space to allow the feeling to like, you know, like come to the surface and be to where you can't distract it away. I had no other outlet. What I realized is like, oh, usually you're, you're just, you have an outlet for your creativity. Like, you know, even, you know, being the conduit, like you said, like being a dancer, like it's still an outlet for some of that creativity. Yeah. And just whether it's like dressing anyway, I had like no outlet for it. And I realized, oh, like this hasn't come out because it's usually sort of like distracted away or like, you know, um, sated by dancing, I guess. And so the moment of stillness and, you know, a little, a little heartbreak, you know, can do some things to you too. Like, I was like, oh, the cliche of like, you know, you get mm. your heart broken and then you got to make something. So yeah, that happened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's, it's, it is really fascinating. What a gift though, right? A real gift. I'm like, thank you. That would not have happened before, you know? So I, I really do appreciate that about this time. Truly. Yeah. That's so interesting. Any other discoveries? Because, wow, that was a fantastic one. Um, I realize how much I say I like I'm terrible at or have been historically like I'm not so great at saying no, Lisa, mm. even though I feel like a person who's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, so that's been a discovery. Interesting. And yeah. why do you suppose that is? Um, I think I get like 
feel personally attached to other people's feelings sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think over the last three or two years, I've been trying to be like more clear about what I want to do next and like more discerning about like, do you actually want to do this and why? And like having like, maybe I have three criteria now that I use that sort to help me determine if I want to do something or not when it's work-related you know, internalizing, saying no, like just feeling bad about it. I don't know if it's like we're socialized as women or what, or like, but I think it's just like not wanting to let the person asking down when really it's not about that. So I feel like I'm getting better at my yeses being yeses and my noes being noes. That has happened. That's been a discovery during this time. Yeah. What is your definition of living in the moment? Not getting too stressed about the things you can't control. Mm. What does it feel like? Trying to like come back to calm. Yeah. Yeah. Trying. I mean, not always successfully, but trying. Can you think of a moment when you've achieved it? Like when you've been quote unquote in the moment? I think this year, this last year, for sure. Mm. Never have I been more in the moment than this last year. If your life was like an open stage and you were the writer, the director and the leading lady, what story would you create? Oh, God, I feel so vulnerable, Lisa. Um, <laughs> this is a vulnerable question. Okay, and I'm going to answer it honestly, if not specifically. So that would look like me leading and creating something visual with movement on camera. Is that, is that specific enough or am I being too vague? You tied it immediately to dance, which is beautiful. And... I want to give you permission to, to take it to the bigger, broader metaphor of life and, and the idea that you can create any life that you want to lead. What story would you tell? God, I don't, I don't know. This is, I, feel, I feel stumped <laughs> in a way that I rarely do. Um, there will be love, romantic love in that story, for sure. Um, I would still be in New York City. I would hopefully do be doing something where I could make people feel like I saw them. So I could like make people feel seen and accepted for where they are and who they are. Those would be kind of like the pillars, but I don't really know how that's like the sketch. I don't know how it would look filled in. Yeah. That's awesome because you, you literally just tied everything to your values. To, you, to what's important to you, right? I mean, yeah. this is, thank you. No, it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's so fascinating to me because, you know, you, you're talking about love and isn't it interesting that your experience with love is what made you creative, what you just shared with me about for the feeling creative for the first time. And then it's interesting you talked to me about learning how to say no and that it was difficult because you cared about the other people. So you put that in your story in the future too, in a world where you could, where people could be seen. You, you nailed it. Like it was, that was so beautiful what you did, what you just expressed. Yeah. So what inspires Aaron Moore to get up in the morning? Coffee. <laughs> For real, coffee. You know, I love, another thing that's been happening, I love my people. I have some really great people in my life. Um, yeah, and my family. Yeah, so I guess those things, I mean, I love to work. So work is always great as well. But I would say those are the main things that kind of, what do you know will be true about you no matter what happens? I think that as long as I'm healthy and my family is here and healthy, then I'm good. Mm. 
especially during this time, like that's been my barometer for wellness. My family's good. I'm good. I still have my full capacity. I have my people around me. We're good. Everything else is icing on the cake. And I've had a lot of icing, admittedly, and I appreciate that. But it's but those are the things that, that really matter to me. Mm-hmm. That make me good. That actually make me good. You know? That's really beautiful. After you're gone, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, my God. Um, I hope people say she knew how to have fun. She was going to make fun, make it fun, no matter, find fun in it. And I hope people say that she tried to see me for who I was. Mm. And that, and the last thing I hope people say is that like, she didn't waste her life. She didn't take her life for granted. Those are the things. (laughs) Do you feel that you are seeing the way that you want to see other people? I don't know. I never really think about it. And you know, there's that part where you're like, you know, you're like, I know people don't like me. You know, there, you know that there are people <laughs> who don't, you know, you know, you know, there's no person who's for every, you know, who's everyone's cup of tea, but I don't really think that much about it, to be honest, how other people see me. I think how things could be perceived, but then I'm just sort of like, well, you know. If I'm hearing you correctly, one of your greatest values is to is to emanate from a place where people feel seen because you you want to be there and you want to be open and you want to be you want to hear them. I tried to do that. I I value that. Yes. Is that a value that that is also important for others to have for you? So yeah, when you put it like that, yes. When I was younger, one of my big things was like I hated being misinterpreted mm. um, and like misread. Now that I'm with some maturity, I realize that you can't change, you can't dictate or control people's interpretation. So I try to about be clear about, you know, I try to be as clear as possible about who I'm being or what I'm saying, and then let the chips fall where they may. Mm. Can't control how it's received, but I try to make sure I know what my intention is. Yep. I'm very deliberate, generally. I'm not, I'm very rarely rash, even if I'm being very energetic and like heated or passionate, it's usually not rash. I am super deliberate. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. It, it sounds to me like you, you give unconditionally, meaning you're not expecting something in return. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. That's an incredible quality, just so you know. Thank you. Just before we go, uh, just before we finish up, um, I'm going to ask you, um, you've probably heard this, what makes you? And then you're just going to kind of jump in. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) So what makes you hungry? The day, the day. What makes you sad? When people who are close to me are hurting. What makes you inspired? Sucking at stuff and learning new things. So I guess that's the opposite side of the same coin. Yeah. Frustrated. Injustice. Mm. Uh, what makes you laugh? Everything. I laugh at, I find a joke in everything. What makes you angry? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes the macro stuff in the world, stuff mm-hmm. we change easily. Same thing, like injustice. And I will say I don't get angry, angry a lot, but that, 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 that makes me angry. And, and lack of, uh, when, you, when I feel like I don't have control over something that I really want to change. I feel like I can't change something that I really want to change. Mm-hmm. So. That makes sense. I'm curious to know, do you ever, do you ever get mad at yourself? Um, not that much. <laughs> <laughs> the 
Does that sound like narcissism? No. <laughs> no, not that much. Sometimes. Not really. I'm not really a regret person too much. Well, and you said you were deli- deliberate. So it yeah. sounds like, you know, you, you're very consciously making choices. Mm-hmm. And I usually feel like if I make the quote unquote wrong choice, well, that's what I was making a choice of what I had in the moment. So I'll make a different choice moving forward. But yeah, I mean, not to say I don't make bad choices. I do. But yeah, I don't really get like, like I've been out of shape with myself about that type of stuff. Yeah. You make the best choice that you can at any given moment, right? We all do the best we can. Yeah. And keep yeah. it moving. There are yeah. a couple things. Ooh, girl, no. But for the most part. Yeah. And finally, what makes you grateful? Oh, God, my health and my family, without question. This is so cheesy, but it's true. Like, you know, like I joked about having a black heart, but like I went to class for the first time last Friday and I like got to the bar and the piano started playing. And I literally, I did not shed a tear, Lisa, but my eyes welled up and I was just like, sometimes like, oh, God, the fact that I can move my body and the fact that I have something that just like, moves me in this way like I feel so grateful for that mm-hmm. I really really do and um so like that would fall under my health and then having my parents still here and healthy yeah grateful yeah Amen. yeah no absolutely what are the what are the top three things that have happened so far today um I had my coffee I was uh walking down the street like because I had a dental appointment this morning and I was like, I stopped into one of the stores and I wanted to buy some shorts, which I did not buy. But the fact that I like wanted to buy clothes and was excited, was like, oh my God, I was like, I'm coming back. Mm. It made me feel good because like this whole time I'm like, buy clothes for what? Where am I going? And I was like, ooh, I want to buy a bathing suit. I'm going to, I felt like, you know, alive. Like not that I felt dead, but I felt like we're, I'm going to be having, I'm going to be out and about hopefully soon so that felt good and then um my third thing oh I got flowers at Traders I get flowers every week and I got my flowers today I love that Erin I oh my god I so appreciate you taking the time to be in the moment with me today I really really do thank you for having me thank you thank you I so appreciate it it was so good to catch up and reconnect and thank you for being part of my journey oh my god same same I have been speaking today with Aaron Moore. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. And remember to live in the moment. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.